0: Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode three, That Thing You Do from 1996. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have the first guest of this podcast, a permanent fixture now on the Cage Club Podcast Network, someone who has never been on one of our other podcasts, but I hope he will come back again and again, co-host of Now and Again and host of an upcoming show or two that you will find on our network early next year. Nico Vasillo. Hello, Nico.
1: Hey, guys, what's up? Thanks so much for having me. This is very exciting. No one's ever asked my opinion on any actress before. So this is, I'm starting with a good one. This is, I'm feeling it.
0: I am so happy that you're here. I'm so glad that you are here to talk about Charlize. More importantly, sort of your other baby, your uh, number one baby, music, mm-hmm. is all throughout this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we really want, uh, you requested two movies. We want to make sure we got you on this one. Like I said, no pressure, but you're the first guest on Watch the Throne, so you are setting the bar for opinions and commentary and <laughs> thoughts on Charlize outside of just me and Mike.
1: Okay, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that I set the bar unreasonably high for other guests. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You want to make sure if they hear you on here, they want to go over to your other show and, and hear you on there as well, so.
1: There's nothing I like more than a false sense of superiority in life, so <laughs> I really need it right now, so I'm going to bring it and give it everything I
0: got. So the important thing to note about that thing you do, I think we mentioned it last week on our Two Days in the Valley episode, is that we watched the director's cut, the Hanks cut, because this is written and directed by Tom Hanks, who people are still yelling at us to do for a podcast, but like, relax, he's, he's always good, but it's, it's good. Be boring. It did take us this long to get to Hanks in a film, though. I'm a little surprised. It did. Uh, I was also surprised when I looked it up that he's only directed two films. He did mm-hmm. this, and he did Larry Crown. Have you seen Larry Crown? I have not.
2: No, uh, I have not, not seen either. Larry Crown. You might understand why <laughs> it was his last film. But, I mean, it's not the oh, worst. Okay. It's it's
0: okay. But. so what I read was that he wrote this movie while tour while doing press tours for Forrest Gump, and was just bored out of his mind. So he wrote a movie <laughs> and then directed the movie. So that's pretty cool. But the important thing I was saying is the important thing to note about this is we're watching the director's cut, the Hank's cut, which is almost two and a half hours long, which when you think about a movie about a boy band from the 1960s and how there's already like an hour and 40 minute theatrical cut out there, two and a half hours feels a little excessive but the reason that we did it for some reason surprisingly to us most of that new footage that they add in is with Charlie Theron so it's important for this show but I know that at least one of our people on this podcast our guest wink wink hint hint uh, wasn't ex- wasn't thrilled with uh, the fact that there is so much extra footage kind of at times weighing down the movie
1: I'll be real I, I watched it with my husband who is my he's my partner in crime and he is the most fun person I know. And we just kept calling it that thing you do plus that weird cuckolding art film that they snuck in, (laughs) where this really handsome, inexplicably bright orange doctor is seducing this young, dumb blonde girl while her boyfriend Mm -hmm. becomes famous. And, like, you could almost see it in his eyes. He might be getting famous, but I've got her now. And, like... (laughs) It was really weird and uncomfortable. It was... They snuck in this cuckolding art film, and it makes me wonder what other random side characters have extensive footage out there. Like, I'm starting to wonder if, like, if guys family has, like, some sort of dark American beauty-esque sequences, (laughs) all taking place at the appliance store. You know, there's this real dramatic moment where he kills the rest of his family, and then he's just, like, putting the same record on every (laughs) single stereo again, and it's not even the same record, but he's just walking through there going, that thing you do, and like, it's really... Like, I'm sorry, but this had, this. had it had no purpose being in this film. None of this. Why did he take any of this? Why did he direct any of
0: this? I feel, I felt a certain way. It's like a methodical removal of everyone in this movie who is not thrilled by their success. In the early, early on in the movie, when they play the first gig, when they play the first time live, literally everyone in the auditorium is losing their mind except for Charlize. Mm. And so she's gone. And then when they actually get on the radio later and they're all excited, and they all meet at the appliance store, the family could not care the mom's kind of happy but it's like we're gonna kill each and every one of you one by one because we're only leaving people left in the world who love the Onidas
2: well the dad has had it out for his son like from the jump of this movie, leaving the sign-on and cooking the books wrong and just not serving the customers up and everything. But there's just, I just imagine, you know, he shot a movie's worth of footage for each storyline or even each character. Like, yeah. I'm sure there's stuff at Disneyland with the bass player and the Marines that could go oh. on for, like, another 20-30 minutes. Either. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I kind of liked a lot of the new stuff, but then again, to be honest, like, originally when I first saw this, I wasn't a huge fan of this movie and like every time <gasps> I watch it, no. I kind of become more of a fan of it. It's a great movie. It is. Like I'm I understand that at this point, but I just really enjoyed, like, because I like the movie so much, all this extra stuff. I was very baffled by a lot of it. I will not I'm not gonna <laughs> contend that whatsoever. There's just something so like crazy to see behind the mind of Hanks and like all this other stuff that's on his mind while he's making this that he wants to explore. It's just it's very weird. And it
1: explains David Pumpkin.
2: You're right, like, it is, like, this other movie going on while this movie is really happening.
1: I need to point out, you said something about the dad having it in for his son. Does anybody else make the connection between that archetype, angry, kind of, like, red-from-that-70s-show, cranky dad, Mm -hmm. with Hemingway heroes? I feel like they're the modern equivalent of the Hemingway hero, and he's got that very left-impotent-by-war... What is Tom Hanks getting at with this film? It's got this very (laughs) left-sort-of-impotent-by-war, not-capable-of functioning as a happy person and he even sings the song wrong which is a (laughs) trope you see a lot like you saw it in the first season of Modern Family Uh, one of the characters has a boyfriend who's very stupid and sings a song that starts really romantic and then turns into I just want to do you and the (laughs) outro of the episode is everybody singing their version of the song Ed O'Neill's character is like he sings like a 50s version of it essentially I'm gonna see if I can get through this podcast without singing
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, how weird is it just that he replaces his son, the drummer, with the original drummer of the band? Yeah. So he's got, like, this surrogate son working for him at the store while his real one's getting famous.
0: Happy Days taught me this is normal. What's also weird to me about sort of the take on masculinity in this movie is that one thing that was in the extended version, not in the theatrical version, is that Tom Hanks' character, Mr. White, uh, has a boyfriend. Oh. he's dating Howie Long. It's a
1: gorgeous Howie Long from the 90s. Gorgeous Howie Long from the 90s. (laughs) Where? was this when I was watching this when I was a kid. I would have been much more into this movie, and
2: I was already pretty into this fucking movie. Dude, that was the weirdest. Like, even I, who don't watch sports, like, knew it was him, and I, I was just mm-hmm. distracted by it. I was like, oh, I like the character development, but I'm a little just put off by the comedy angle of it all. Like, here's this football player here. It was, it was kind of funny.
0: What's also really funny is that, like, you know, that's when... We only see him in, like, that one scene, I think, and it's when Guy shows back up to the hotel really drunk. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. But, you know, he sort of follows Tom Hanks to the car, and he's just like, well, I'm coming with you. And how he's like, bring him. And like I want to see like that night where like he goes out on the town with them and like I wonder if that was also shot like as an alternate alternate take. I need that to be a really dark dramatic sort of gods and monsters kind of film. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a quick rundown on the other extended edition differences. That first scene where Charlize goes back to make out with Guy, because she is dating uh, the main guy, apparently Tom Hanks did not want to cast because he looked too much like a young Tom Hanks.
2: Exactly. Like, I thought that's why you cast him, because he's playing young Tom... He's basically doing an impression of young Tom Hanks the whole movie.
1: This is young Tom Hanks' self-insert
0: fanfic (laughs) that he wrote about himself. But Rita Wilson, his wife, who's also... also in this movie said no 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 he's cute we're gonna cast Tom Everett Scott in this movie and Tom (laughs) is like all right like Rita if you want it we're gonna go with that Uh, so Charlize goes back to his place and they have that extended makeout scene where it's kind of the closest to being objectified that she is in this movie but at least compared to you know the last two movies I was like oh like I don't feel uncomfortable about this like she's kind of in (laughs) control of this and like you know she's positively using her sexuality and like I don't have to feel uncomfortable about like upskirt shots from a horror movie or needless top. Scenes from a subpar crime thriller.
2: Yeah, I, I will say this, and even without all of those extended scenes with her rendezvous at the dentist, like I, I feel like she's actually a character here. Like yeah. that they've like Hanks is actually able to create people in his movies like that that feel like they're real people and could actually exist and yeah and like kind of right from the beginning you're like I don't know these two really are going to last or anything she <laughs> seems to have different priorities than him uh, he kind of just he's more of like a beatnik that wants to make out and I guess she's looking for stability but right. you're right like yeah she definitely knows what she wants and is going for that and isn't going to let Guy try and smooth talk her into the bed because it's been their one year anniversary
1: wait I'm so sorry I have to ask a question I have to know how bad the objectification was in the first two films Oof. that you didn't feel that it was objectifying
0: when people were sticking their fingers in her mouth. Well, that's okay. So that's another scene we're gonna get into the dentist scene later. So the first first movie she was in was like it was a featured extra role. She had no words. There was just some unfortunate camera angles that left her sort of like corn tendrils like wrapping around her legs like upskirts. Yeah, well, she, she was getting
2: eaten by a giant plant monster at the end of Children yep. of the Corn three, and the camera was literally like right up her skirt when the
0: tendrils were attacking <laughs> okay. her. Okay. Ouch. And then last week's movie, she uh, is first introduced topless and bloodied in a photograph, and then basically is forced into rough sex with James Spader for much of a movie that she sort of kind of seems into but it's also kind of convenient writing it seems like she's not really into it so by comparison this was a cut above in terms of you know what we've seen so far I mean she's not truly fully not objectified at all but compared to the last two movies which came out last year in 1995 1996 because this is also 96 like this is much much better
1: no yeah you made a compelling argument for that yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) and I think this is PG too,
2: right? Like, there's right. a rating involved as well. So they try and slip in subliminal sexual suggestions along the way, I feel, here and there. Uh, the but it's all art playful hell. compared to, yeah, some hardcore stuff.
0: And so the other the other quick things about the extended edition is that there's a lot more scenes where Guy is flirting with Faye, who's played by Liv Tyler, and he's also, we also see a lot more scenes of Charlize falling out of love with Guy, even though, like, it seems like in this cut, like, after she leaves his apartment or whatever in the beginning, it seems like they're never in love. Like, it just seems like that's the end. Like, as soon as he joins the band, she's like, well, I'm done. It seems a little bit too much and we'll get into this but we see all these different ways of like her getting uh, hit with a fire extinguisher spray and like her falling in love with this pretty dentist which is weird because we know that she had no teeth when she was actually like a real life child so that's sort of strange and like all these different things like that so it feels a little unnecessary but for the purposes of what we're doing I'm glad that we got lots more Charlize there's also the bass player in this movie who does not have a name which I didn't know This
2: entire time Yeah. In the credits, yeah. T B
0: player. T B player bass player. I could
2: have sworn they referred to him by name, but I was just calling him Ethan because it's played by (laughs) Ethan Embry.
0: (laughs) Well he said that his name was Tobias it's like TB, and he's like, he's such a he's such a Tobias, is what he said. He, in the middle of the movie... Oh, during the montage on the road, right? Right, and he like is in love with one of the women in the chantre- Chantrelles, and so in the theatrical version, it sort of seems like this unrequited love, but in this version we see that he actually, like they actually do the dirty corn together, which Nico, by the <laughs> way, that is our uh, slang for having sex, because that is sort of what happened in the first horror movie. You've missed a lot in two episodes. <laughs> Everybody just, has. I mean, it's not on Nico it's just we're sorry, but in two episodes we didn't
2: realize how much mythology in *Watch the Throne* would actually materialize.
0: Yep, and then the only other difference—the major difference—is that at the end of the movie, instead of becoming a studio drummer, as per the suggestion of his jazz icon played by Bill Cobbs, who's back for another movie we're doing, Mike, which I love to see Bill Cobbs here, he becomes a radio DJ. Which I'm—I sh- don't know if that's a step up or a step down, or just seems strange and different. Yeah, and Clint Howard offers him the job
2: too, which was again, I don't remember him. I know he was in one scene of the original, but they bring him back
0: for the extended cut.
1: Hashtag step down.
0: <laughs> I think so, right? Because, like, you can be, like, doing what you love and performing jazz music, even if you're not going to become famous, or you can just, like, talk about it on air? But he'll get to meet his idols as they pass through
2: town and interview them. I mean, what else is weird is that that's not even where he really ends up, because you get those sort of American graffiti type yeah. words, right? And, like, he moves to Washington State and opens a conservatory like what like that is super specific like i feel like everybody's afterward is like pretty specific
1: this cut of this movie was sort of like they bang and then happy ending they bang and then happy ending they bang and then happy ending like this was the everybody bangs edition and also the everybody <laughs> has a happy ending edition uh, It was too long by 30 minutes <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely way too long. Like, I will concede to that. There's a happy medium here somewhere. Maybe, like, two hours, an hour 50, somewhere around there. I My favorite new stuff is before they hit big. Like, I think all the newer stuff works a little better in that context. Afterwards, I just felt I, I, I don't know, like I just felt like I know the original movie so well. After they make it big, I started noticing like, oh, this might not fit here, or this is out of place, or this is kind of jarring now. I think the momentum may have been broken up a little too much with a little too much extra footage towards the second half of this, but I actually quite enjoyed most of it.
0: What I felt was weird and I think it was just a product of how long it was, was that this time around, because I haven't, I haven't seen a theatrical movie in a couple years and I've never seen this, that, did either of you. You see this version before or is this the first time for all of us?
1: I think it has to be my first time but like TBH when I looked up what was some of the stuff that was at let me let me rephrase that um I'm a giant man baby when my husband went on Wikipedia for me <laughs> and read me the differences and I went hold on sh- slow down I have to put this in my notes when that happened he was like this definitely wasn't in the film and I'm like are you sure because like I feel like I've seen that and he's like Nope. And I'm like, uh, how high did I watch this movie? Let me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I've never seen this either, and and Joey, I think like I was telling you, when I was getting ready to watch the movie, like, I didn't even know this cut existed, and it's been around for ten years. This was definitely the first time I saw, I think the last time I saw the original cut was very recently, like, within a year or two, like, it was on, and I was like, I'm gonna sit down and watch this, because it's like a nice, quick, breezy, fun movie that puts you in a good mood.
0: I have a Blu-ray, but it was tucked away, because I have all my movies in boxes right now, and like, the Blu-ray comes with both versions, so if if it was out and I was looking, I would have known about it, but when you were like, hey, there's two versions. Like, I was just ready to watch it on Starz Play, where it is right now, or Amazon or something. Like, I was just ready to watch the, the one version, but then when we got, when you're like, there's an extra 40 minutes, and, like, it's mostly Charlize, I was like, oh, well, then this is what we have to do. But what was weird for me was that, I think it was just because it was right around that hour 40 mark, right when they are about to play on national TV, I kind of hit a wall where I was like, oh, this feels like it's dragging now like it feels like at that point you're just like oh there's a lot like I feel like we're sort of like I want to get to where we where I know we're going you know what I mean
2: yeah that's what I was feeling too like I feel like after they hit it big the movie really just has to keep running and it it doesn't really have time to spread itself out anymore and like a lot of the footage is extended takes like when they're jamming in the garage for the first time with Guy they go over the song a lot longer and then they talk about covering another song at one point and I think that works best but you're right I just think it, it breaks up the momentum too much in the second half and like this movie just needs to end like at a certain point and you know they gotta get on tv there's like too much happens after their tv appearance i feel they need to really truncate that stuff that's that for me is just where it worked the least
1: i think part of the problem for me was i kind of resented watching this movie for this podcast i am so happy to be here and i was so happy to watch this movie but when she's not in the last hour of the film yeah i'm like bitter about it
2: (laughs) oh yeah we've had problems before with cage club and keanu club where we've sat through like an hour and a half for about two or three minutes of cage or something or keanu and so this was nothing compared to that but i could see from your perspective like right there's nothing to really talk about for the last hour of this movie regarding why we're here the, the actor we're here for but we do get like those hilarious scenes of their date when she's like at the golfing range the driving yep. range and stuff mm-hmm. and putting a wallpaper in his office oh I'm just like, double checking so he's got
1: money throw. too oh okay he's got money too
2: so it is a cuckolding art film <laughs> Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, what's weird is she's like, I gotta go to the dentist and get a crown. It's gonna take all day. And I know this was in the 60s, but that takes like an hour. Guy should be on to the fact that she doesn't want to be around him that much, that his song is on the radio and she could care less. And he seems a little, I don't know, like he's not really, not that he's not with it, but like he's not fully aware of what's going on. I feel like he has trouble reading social cues from time to time.
0: So there's the one scene that I want to talk about where it's what Nico Referenced earlier, there's one part where we actually see her getting dental work done. Doctor Collins has his fingers all in her mouth and everything like that. The wonder song, that thing you do, comes on the radio, and it seems like she kind of gets excited because this is the time where it's being broadcast. I think from like Ohio or Pittsburgh or something, right?
2: National now.
0: Yeah, it's on the on the really really powerful radio station. I suppose there's like a local Erie, Pennsylvania station. It seems like she gets excited, and I wonder if that was like a oh no, did I make the wrong choice? Because I'm here my husband or my soon-to-be husband or whatever, you know, we don't, I mean, they, they might have gotten married in the span of this movie, who knows? Like, things moved quickly back then. But my boyfriend or my husband or whatever is here doing work on my teeth and this guy that I used to be with is now becoming famous and potentially also rich. Did you guys get that sense that maybe her character was like, oh, no, like, I'm not sure because she's trying to point to the radio and he's just not getting. It. He's like, oh, like, you, you, you hurt? Like, here's here's some more Novocaine or whatever.
1: Yeah, I thought that was only the second time she emoted in the entire film. Like, I think her character was just meant to be like that girl. You know what I mean? Like, that person that, that's... Oh, man, am about to get so gay on the wrong podcast here, but... <laughs> Let it out. The chick that Sandy's trying to be at the end of Grease, like, mm-hmm. she oh, just mm-hmm. is that girl. Tell me about it, stud. The only times she emotes in the entire thing are at I Am Spartacus, and this moment... <laughs> in the chair.
0: The first I am Spartacus. Yeah. Because he says it a couple more times and she's like Hangs And not she's like, into I get it.
1: it yeah. You're Spartacus. You're
0: Spartacus. Tony Curtis, whatever. It's ridiculous. What's also sort of like dehumanizing a little bit because you said like she has to be that girl is that at the very, very end of the movie, when Guy and and Liv Tyler are maybe sort of kind of getting together, she's like, were you in Love in Eerie with that girl, Tina? Like, she even says, like, that girl, Tina. She's just a thing. I think it's more of a character, like, you're right, Mike, that that Tom Hanks was able to create something there, but it still feels like she's sort of like this statuesque beauty, what he's supposed to want. Yes. And the fact that, like, if he stays in Eerie, like, that's, like, the best version of his future. But because he wants more out of life, than just running an appliance store or maybe putting his name on the appliance store he realizes that like she's just a pretty girl in a small town but he could have the world if he becomes a famous musician yeah and it's also like
2: she's very superficial too like she might look like the trophy wife oh, but deep down like she's not a very nice person or at least not to guy they just don't share the same interests and when she's in that chair and she recognizes that song I felt like she thought she might have made a mistake but ultimately that's not what she's into she doesn't want to date a musician she, you know like or else she would have been with Guy from the start there's another scene earlier where he sends her all these photographs of himself on the road and I got the sense then that she was gonna like show up somewhere in California in a deleted scene mm. looking to get him back but catch him with Liv Tyler it's weird there's a lot of like Betty and Veronica stuff going on with her and Liv Tyler in the opening and I think that is just sort of a shorthand because it's very familiar imagery, you know, there's like the quote-unquote... The blonde like, and the brunette. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, and clearly Faye is just much more guy's type, like, they relate, like instantly when he's like, I dinged your bumper, and they flirt, like, right in front of her boyfriend and don't seem
0: uncomfortable about any of it, like, I got the sense that they belong together. So that scene, and Nico you, you can confirm for us, that scene where they, like, he bumps it, and the, or bumps the bumper, taps the bumper, and then says it to her, that's not in the theatrical version, I don't think, or at least that's not, like, or it's extended, at least in this one, right? I, yeah, it's either extended or not in the theatrical, because, I, 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 like I said, I, there's a whole bunch of this
1: that I'm like, no, I've seen this before, but I'm told no, and so I'm like, maybe this is, like, a
0: scene that's really just, like, a
1: quick two-second shot in the
0: other, I don't know. Well, I feel like there's that sense of deja vu, maybe, because it feels like you've seen it because you don't need to see it. Like, you know, you you sort of get the sense just from how they interact, like with the bologna sandwich or whatever, like, they're cute together. Like, they're supposed to be together. It's not supposed to be her and the guitarist. Like, it's supposed to be them. You don't need to see him being like, oh, I'll buy you breakfast. Like, I'm so sorry. Because, like, you just sort of assume that he does nice things for her, I think. Again, I like... That there's because that is a nice moment. It feels good, but it also feels like we don't need to see that. And I understand why if they wanted to trim a minute out to cut it down for the, for theaters, like that's what something you could take out.
2: Yeah, and I picked up on that in the original cut too. First time like watching this, I was I. I definitely thought that the two of those guys were going to get together at the end of the movie that they belong together so i feel like you're right like it's just extra exposition you know if you've seen the movie before and you want to explore more of this love story like it's there the material was there for you so like let's put it out there we only need one or two of them though like i feel like we could either take the bumper ding or the bologna sandwich thing but we don't need like three or four of these like re-meet cute moments throughout the movie where they're constantly like giggling with each other because one's enough Yeah, Leftovers aren't so good the
1: third time.
2: So I don't know if you guys noticed this time around, but in in the director's cut, I definitely got the sense that Guy was a lot older than the rest of the band. I mean, much more so than in the theatrical. Like, they call him old guy or thanks mister and things, and he calls them, like, yes, kids. Like, he refers to them as kids often. Uh, Did did either of you guys pick up on that?
1: A hundred percent. There's that scene where he says that he served in the military, which makes him feel a lot older than the other guys. And, you know, As a kid, you know, and I I hate to, I hate that I understand hindsight goggles are a real thing now in hindsight. Damn it, hindsight goggles are like a double edged sword, (laughs) but like. You know, sometimes my teenage students say stuff to me like, I don't know stuff from before the year I was born, and I'm like, when were you born? And they say, 2000, and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I guess when I used to watch this movie as a kid, I was sort of like, oh, they're all old, ha 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 ha, but like, now I'm like, nah, there's a serious visual, there's like a visible difference. Steve Zahn has been playing 42, pretending he's 25 his entire career, but the rest of them, you can sort of see there's a clear delineation in ages.
0: I didn't really think about him being older in the movie, although I guess the base player Ethan Embry is going off to military so I guess he's sort of like maybe 5 years younger so it's probably guy is probably like 23 and everybody else is probably 18 ish I'm guessing yeah one thing that I read this is like like we said before this was the first movie that Tom Hanks directed but because he had been an actor there was this oral history that I sent you guys I only read the beginning of cuz it's not it's not written like an oral history it's written like a blog post or like a online story and I just want to hear I just want to read straight quotes like I don't want to I don't want filler text in between the quotes. But anyway, what they were saying, it was basically really like a young crew of actors, you know, had been acting before but like they are all like in their teens or early 20s or whatever, you know, the people in the band and Liv Tyler. Even though this was his first movie, he had been an actor for so long that he knew exactly how to talk to them and made them feel comfortable. So it, it is interesting that like not only are the young kids in the movie sort of experiencing this for the first time and like, not necessarily like their first job or whatever but like, in real life, they're all. So So sort of experiencing a lot of this for the first time and like being on a set with arguably the hottest actor in Hollywood at the time, coming off a year or two after Forrest Gump. Like, Tom Hanks is the biggest star in the world at this time, and he's treating them like equals and making them feel comfortable, and, like, it's pretty cool, I think. There's kind of an interesting
2: parallel there, too, as far as the character he's playing in the movie that's sort of shepherding this band into success also. Like, he's this father figure in a way, I suppose. But uh, he's looking after the kids, like, in real life on the set, like these young actors, and then in the movie... He's taking care of the band and the characters that they're playing, so it was kind of interesting. And
1: he definitely had a really good time and like made it a family thing, because I don't know if anybody else spotted the guest appearance from a young Colin Hanks. Yes! yes. And his
0: daughter is in this movie apparently somewhere, too. Oh. oh, he's got a daughter. That's terrific. I had no clue. As of 2016, it was the only film to date to feature Tom Hanks, Rita Wilson, Colin Hanks, and daughter Elizabeth Hanks. So they're all in here. It's a family affair, getting everybody involved on set.
2: And did you guys spot Brian Cranston?
0: Yeah. Because there's a Hanks connection with him. Uh, yeah. He's in his
2: next movie, but he played Buzz Aldrin in From the Earth to the Moon, mm. which was produced, produced by Hanks. And yep. he plays an astronaut here in this movie. So it's sort of like a shout-out to, like, hey, I'm... I'm doing this other thing for you where I'm playing an astronaut.
0: There's a long list of cameos on the wiki page. Paul and one, Dude,
2: what was that about? Right? I couldn't believe it. He had freaking energy in
0: this movie. I was like, do more acting, less directing. There's also Mike uh, Golden Peach Award winner Chris Isaac yeah. in this what? movie. I missed them. No, Chris he's Isaac. The guy who in, records their In the church. He yeah. records their songs. Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh. I knew that dude looked so familiar.
0: I was like, who is this guy? Why is his. Young, hip,
2: uncle, like, (laughs) recording church music. What is
0: up with that? Yeah, so, Nico, a little bit of background for you. So, Wicked Game, obviously, everybody knows Wicked Game, was in three different Nicolas Cage movies... And so when we did the Cage Club Awards at the end, that was nominated for Best Song, and we picked it to win Best Song because it was used in three different movies. So when he popped up here, I was like, oh, like, it's cool. Like, you know, this is the beginning of a new journey for me and Mike, and here he is, an old favorite. Although, for the first time, I think Mike, in any of our movies, in front of the camera instead of just on the soundtrack.
2: Oh, is that right? I thought he... Popped up in front of something. We had another. We had a. Maybe. We had a country western guy in Little Buddha, right? Or I mean, we've had bad musician actors. Well, on, we had a whole <laughs> rap artist category in Cage Club. Yeah, but they're primarily good. I felt like they, <laughs> those guys were good actors, um, as opposed to like the country western stars who come on. But here's
1: the thing about Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac is famous for two songs, and also being Chris Isaac. He's not, like, tremendously famous for his music. It's like Harry Connick Jr. They look vaguely similar. They both are kind of like, Man, the 50s were a cool time. <laughs> They're both famous for being personalities, but not much else. It's, you know, Chris Isaac in this is like Chris Isaac in Twin Peaks. It's just like, Why? <laughs>
2: Yeah, he's kind of a wooden board, I suppose. But I guess that's what I'm getting... I mean, that's, I didn't even pick up on him, so there you go, right? He didn't leave an impression on me.
0: One thing, go- going back just a second to Tom Hanks and sort of, you know, his interactions are on set. I wish... I don't know how it would have worked. I wish that we got a scene between Tom Hanks and Charlize. Oh, I don't call. know how that would have happened. One little side thing is that apparently she was the first actor to audition for this movie and was also the first actor that he cast in this movie.
2: She's got a total look from the 60s. Like,
0: she stepped right out of
2: Peggy Sue Got Married. Mm -hmm. Like, I was thinking of that movie a lot, watching this
0: movie. The only way that I can see this happening is if, Mike, if your idea of, like, she shows up to California to find them on tour, and Tom Hanks pulls her aside and, like, can sense the type of person she is, like this, you know, gold digger or this somebody Mm -hmm. who's just after money and fame and success or whatever and he pulls her aside and is just like not, not like you're not welcome here but like I know what you're after think very carefully about your actions like I, I would love a scene between the two of them. Like, however it would have played that, I don't think it would have gone well for her, because he seems, like, supremely confident in all things. Which, I understand when you're writing a movie, like, you're gonna give yourself a good character. Like, that's totally cool. Like, I wish that they had a scene together. I don't know how it would have happened. Maybe in the future, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's the one thing this movie's missing. Well, I think
1: nobody's addressing the bigger thing in the room. I love that you were both like, yeah, she starts seeing this dentist, and everything's really cool. Because I was sort of like, if they're dating, he's doing an unbearable amount of dental work on her. And it's, even if it's not unethical, I'm sort of afraid he's like convinced her that she has dead mouth disease. And he has to like, no, I don't believe so. I don't believe that that's the part of this movie that didn't make it into this director's cut. I'm pretty (laughs) sure there was no amount of footage that was left on the floor that featured our wonderful Miss Theron that did not get used in this director's cut. If there was a Scene where she was like I got the results back it's definitely tooth cancer <laughs> then I am sure it would have been in that thing that Charlize Theron does in this art film about cuckolding that has nothing to do with the O'Neaters.
0: well so Nico early on I mentioned this but in real life when she was a child growing up in South Africa Charlize had jaundice And she took so many antibiotics that all of her teeth rotted out. So she has this weird history of dental work, and so maybe she does have dead mouth's disease. Dead mouth's disease sounds like dead mouse disease, which is a whole other thing. That's a whole other ball of wax there. (laughs) Dead mouse, the DJ guy. Dead now five. That's actually going to
1: be on the next now. Dead now five. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) But maybe her character, she took a page out of her real life. Was like. Oh, I'm always at the dentist because I know what it's like to need lots of dental work. This makes sense to me.
2: I have a theory, guys, okay. and I haven't had a wacky theory for a while first on the show, I think, yeah. This might be. I feel like her audition was Hank saying, tell me something about yourself. And she tells this story about how she grew up and she had jaundice and all this stuff and her teeth rotted out and she, you know, all this and that. And he goes, oh my god, I'm gonna work that into the movie somehow. That's gonna be like a character trait. Your character goes to the dentist all the time because she has a teeth problem. And you know what? Like, hey, I like you so much, we're gonna gonna do this whole B story that's not even gonna make (laughs) it into the final cut. Because why are they showing this if she never shows back up? It's so misleading Thank you. driving me crazy cuckolding
1: art film and here's the thing <laughs> here's the thing with all the negative shit that came out about my precious Joss Whedon because you know obviously I'm, I'm a young gay yeah. man I grew up on Buffy it was my everything my whole world is comic books so clearly I connect with the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe but like I'm so scared that we're gonna find out when Rita has to leave Tom that he's got this weird mouth fetish And Charlize was just (laughs) his first tooth girl. Now he's gonna start really pushing it. His next movie is gonna be called The Orthodontist.
0: And it's gonna you know what I mean? Like (gasps) this
1: is what I'm afraid (gasps) of.
0: Wait, 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 wait. His other movie's Larry Crown. Crown Tooth. Fuck. Nico. Nico, you're onto something.
2: I, I I am, guys. If only Larry Crown was a dentist that he played. That would have been amazing.
1: We need to get James Stewart on this because this is the next Den of Lies. This is the Den of Thieves. (laughs) I'm forgetting my Pulitzer Prize books about Wall Wall Street. But anyway, it's that.
0: What I really liked about Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, I looked up when they were married. They were married in 1988. So they've been married for almost a decade by this point. They met on the set of Volunteers, right? I think so. That's a great movie. They've
1: been bosom buddies for
0: so long. When Guy meets her at the blue spot and then ditches her to talk to Bill Cobb, she drives a very drunk guy back to the hotel basically passes him off to Tom Hanks she's just like you know one more drink and like I would have been sleeping with this guy and I like that there's like that wink there that, like, these are two <laughs> unconnected people in the movie, married in real life. Here you go, he, here's your boy back. Like, he was almost my boy for the evening, but I like that that weird little thing. I hope that they don't get divorced in real life, because, I mean, they've been married for almost oh, 30 yeah. years by this point. I think she's his second wife already, she is a second thanks, wife. Thanks, his first so. wife is also in this movie somewhere. What? It is a family affair.
1: I definitely gay read something there? Like, I mean, I I just had to bring the faggotry about it, but I think the thing that happened was, once we knew that Tom Hanks' character was gay with Howie Long, that lucky son of a bitch, (laughs) and then he meets this woman that I immediately thought was a prostitute.
2: Yeah, I got the sense that she would call on the side, if you know. Yeah,
1: and I kind of thought maybe, like, they know each other from the bathhouse.
2: Well, oh, I pick up on that now, too, when she's like, I hand him off to you, he doesn't like women, he likes you, because obviously, he didn't fall for me Rita Wilson, who looks amazing in this, so like I like she knows the Hanks character. Yeah, is gay. Mm. There was
1: a very kind of like there was very your hag takes care of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like as somebody whose hags have been so good to me over the years, I don't know any gay man who would be anything without his wonderful women. Yeah, she she strikes me as like that's so weird. I'm gonna write a movie and make myself gay and then make my wife my <laughs> prostitute hag. Ooh, I like that.
2: <laughs> well, that's a lot. the thing it's like there's all these interesting threads but they're not necessary for the core story you know the story about the O'Neaters hitting it coming together being a one-hit wonder I mean all this extra footage has nothing really to do with that very much you know like all all the extra character moments I'd say.
0: I want to take a step back for a second Mike to your crazy theory and I like that your crazy theory about Charlize's audition which just tell me a story is basically the audition scene from La La Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah because I
2: think that's where they got it in La La Land like that's a very popular thing I feel like you hear in an audition
0: well yeah but I mean I just like that this movie like there's not that many movies about jazz We're I was just it... gonna bring it up how Hank saves jazz first yep just as opposed to you know a white Canadian boy saving jazz in La La Land
1: oh I love how many white people save jazz <laughs>
0: But La La Land coming to the Cage Club Podcast Network on Boyfriend Material next Thursday. But did you remember from La La Land, Tom Everett Scott plays Emma Stone's eventual husband in that movie? That was Tom Everett Scott? Yeah, because Damien Chazelle loved this movie so much growing up that he wanted to cast him in that movie. And Tom Everett Scott was like... Oh yeah, absolutely. He's like the guy who did Whiplash. Yes, I want. I want to be wow. in this part. Yes.
2: The last thing I saw Tom Everett Scott in was he's the new dad. I think he actually plays Steve Zahn as the dad in Diary of a
0: Wimpy Kid. So, how weird is that? Uh, Steve Zahn was also the best man at his wedding, so there's a little bit of a connection there, too. So, yeah. This movie opened a lot of doors for a lot of people.
1: I actually was was struck by what a great Broadway musical this show would make. A lot of the changes that you would have to make to it to improve it would fix a lot of the plot problems. You'd have to have a smaller cast. There'd need to be more focus on the other stars in the Platone galaxy. And it would make a great Broadway musical. If nobody wants to adapt it, you can just call me. I'll do it. It's fine.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because I was surprised this time around to learn that there is other music in this aside from that thing you do the song. You know, the first couple times watching it, it's hard to think of anything else for a couple days except for that song, because it just gets drilled into your mind so much. But there's a lot of other good music
0: by the other artists that are on the Playtone label.
2: Even the other songs by The Wonders. Yeah, that's true, too. They have a couple tunes.
0: The The song, That Thing You Do, was written by the bassist for The Fountains of Wayne, out to New Jersey, oh. Adam Schlesinger. What up? But the song that opens the movie, Loving You Lots and Lots, was written by Tom Hanks as sort of like a parody of like huh. the songs of that time. But that's also a super catchy song too like i was reading that like the the full version of that thing you do is only played twice in this movie but it's played in some form 11 times in this movie. Like, it's wallpaper throughout this thing, and, like, it's just such a good song. Like, every time it comes on, I've seen the scene where it plays on the radio for the first time more than anything else in this movie, and I still get chills when it happens, because, like, Liv Tyler's overwhelming joy is just wonderful. They're all so excited to hear it, and it's like, you know it's gonna happen. You know this is, like, the band's rise and then fall, and you know the plot points, but, like, every time it plays, it's just such a good, fun, catchy song. It's like oh I love this
2: yeah i was I was actually struck at how moved I was this time watching that scene where it first comes on the radio like I really got chills this time I was like damn this is really well done, everybody is really selling it, and this sort of evolution of the scene where one person hears it, runs into the other person on the street, and they go into the store and turn on all the radios, and then the rest of the band shows up. They're doing like a congo line or something around the whole store or something. The energy is there, and Hanks' is, his directing skills are on fire in that scene for sure.
1: Picking Liv Tyler was also a really smart move About in a movie about musicians. Even before she knew her father was Steven Tyler, growing up she thought her dad was Todd Rundgren.
2: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> her mom was like a very... Like, like well-known like you know like muse chick in in that time
2: sort of like the um from um almost famous penny lane type yeah
1: yeah and so she she was such a great person to associate with this because Liv tyler we already associated her with steven tyler she had just done all those music videos for aerosmith where her father limitlessly sexualized her now she's showing us her joy Oh, and Empire Records was either right before or right after this. Her career, we associate her with music, and we we see her that way. Putting her in these scenes almost added a sense of genuineness. You know what I mean?
0: Like, she's lived this in real life, and, like, this is how people would react. Yeah,
1: it'd be like putting Andrew Dice Clay in a TV show about a washed-up comedian who doesn't know when to quit.
0: Yeah, Dice.
2: (laughs) You know what other scene I like, though, real quick? Like, something else that really played really well again for me this time is when they're at the talent show and they start playing it for the first time and Guy speeds up the song without yep. telling anybody. Yep. That's a really great sequence and technically very tough because at the start of the song everybody's playing catch-up and then by the end they're, they're like perfectly in sync. And everybody's got it down and and into it. So I really like that again this time.
1: And there's actually like technical ways to do that. And funny enough, this is is the only time in history anyone's ever going to have a reason to bring up Harry Connick Jr. twice in the same (laughs) podcast. But if you go on YouTube and you look up Harry Connick Jr. fixes the tempo, you'll catch this video of Harry Connick Jr. The audience starts clapping on the wrong beat to one of his very constantly similar jazz songs. And he plays, like, a little magical five-fourths measure or something, like some obscure, it-doesn't-need-to-exist measure, he plays it once or twice, and it automatically puts the audience back on the right
2: beat. Interesting. Wow. It's like musical hypnosis or something. Yeah, there's <laughs>
1: techniques you can use. So, like, knowing the kind of love that uh, Tom Hanks had for this film, I wouldn't be surprised if they did engage some sort of, like, hey, let's make sure this is 100% right 100% of the time.
0: Speaking of that talent show, do either of you recognize—I what is? It? I couldn't find them online—who is their fan what has he been in? Oh, he's been in so much. Yeah, I have. I don't know this guy, but he pops up everywhere. Yeah. Especially in the 90s. Because he was so good in this movie. He's basically the anti-Charlie's early on in their career. Steve's not even like, Steve, Steve's not even says at one point he's like, hey, isn't that our fan? Like, our one single fan? Which, as an up-and-coming baby podcast network, I basically know a lot of the people who, like, have, like listen to us. You know, like, if people tweet at us or write on our Facebook wall or whatever, like, I know these people because there's not that many of them. So I <laughs> sort of simply sort of we're just waiting for our that thing you do, our breakout to a national audience. I really liked him; he was so good in this. Uh, he just keeps popping up, which is it's just so funny he was. I, I loved him in this.
1: That's actually such a really human thing, and thank you for saying it. And as, as like you know, one creator to another. When we first started with the comic and people would come up to us and they'd be like, oh, I've heard of you. And we'd be like, no, you haven't. They would be like, no, I've heard of Kid Riot. And I would be like, that's not possible. The only people that have heard of Kid Riot live in my house. So you can't possibly have heard of Kid Riot. And like, you know, I've had to get better about it because there's nothing more off-putting when like somebody comes up to your table. And they're like, oh my God, I've been waiting to check this out. And I'm like, are you sure that's a hard sell to make? So that's that's another thing that they captured really genuinely, and that's really interesting that they captured it so genuinely, especially Tom Hanks. And not that I'm saying that famous people aren't capable of being just like us, but famous people, you know, it's how much can a banana cost from Arrested Development?
2: Well, it's like when, um, when George W. Bush went to the supermarket and didn't know that you scanned your items. I mean, this is going way back, but since we're in movie came out in the 90s. Yeah. I remember when the first George Bush was president, it's like, whoa, it's technology. I mean, people are just out of it, I guess, or just it's not on their plane of existence.
1: Tom Hanks, this guy who's been famous for acting since at least the early 80s, if not earlier, manages to recreate the sense of outsidership this sense of I can't believe it's finally happening to me that I can't believe Mm. that he genuinely remembers to that sort of extent it's like I love him and I think George Clooney is going to help save us all or whatever but when he was like he gave that like tirade recently where he was like don't say that I'm I'm the millionaire guy with the golden shoes fuck you I I cleaned bathrooms and I mopped up vomit after comedians at clubs and I did this and I did that and I want to be like but you were on ER in 1994 and it's 2017 and baby girl it's time to like Go of the past. There is something so powerful about how truly Tom Hanks did get that over and over again.
0: Absolutely. It frustrates me a little bit that, like, I that we all enjoy this movie so much that, like, I don't know why he didn't do more. Why he didn't direct more movies? Why he didn't write or direct more movies, yeah. Yeah. I guess you're busy acting, and you don't, like... Yeah, he's like... a mega star. Um, I feel
2: like this was, like, the studio saying, look, thanks for Forrest Gump, you could do anything you want next, and he's like, well, come to think of it, I've always wanted to direct, like, I might be good at that, and they were like, alright, let's give him a shot. But it is kind of surprising that it was so well-received they didn't ask him to direct something else you know like I could understand him being like I don't really have anything on my mind or a project to do or anything but it is kind of weird that the studio wasn't like hey you got another thing you do in you you got like a sequel you got like where's the band now like 20 years later what can we do with them or anything really
1: two things number one now I need a sequel to that thing you do but I need it to be kind of a la the new odd couple where they're trying to capture a very different kind of market and it's called like that groove you jam and it's like a (laughs) 1970s (laughs) funk version of it And it's directed by Nick Cannon and it's like a surprise breakout hit and it wins tons of awards. And everybody's like, holy shit, that's Mr. Mariah Carey up there, because they're back together now. Everybody should know that. You should all keep abreast of Mariah Carey the way I
2: do. I mean, it is strange though, because like, Hanks' next movie that he directs, Crown Thing, it's like the most bizarre, so it's like a middle-aged guy going back to college and he's also like a short-order cook.
1: Oh, yeah!
2: With his teacher, who's Julia Roberts and wins over the rest of his class which includes mr robot the guy from mr robot so like it's just so so different than this like it's just like a world apart from what he's dealing with here this feels more like nostalgia recapturing some of his childhood like this is hanks growing up and i don't know what the new movie was supposed to be
1: i only vaguely remembered it when you said middle-aged guy goes back to school and i was like wait larry crown no that's patch adams larry crown no that's michael Larry Crown. Which white guy movie was that? Oh! As soon as you said (laughs) Julia Roberts and back in school, I was like, it's the movie about the actor that's not popular anymore who works in a school. It's it's the one with Matt Damon. No, that's Good Will Hunting. Oh! It's the one with Julia Roberts. Right. This is before they started realizing that if you throw in a minority, you can make the same
0: movie again. Speaking of uh, making the same movie again, we're going to get to the recast game shortly. Do we have any other last thoughts about that thing you do the extended version the Charlize cut if you will um, I have some little odds in it like it's a trivia and stuff it's the Charlize cut but Nico yeah. any other thoughts any other last thoughts before we get to the recast game any other notes that you want to mention any other facts that you want to drop any other opinions you want to share about why this is the inferior version to the theatrical cut
1: like I've said a few times now my husband is my he's my rock he's my world he's my Dr. Quinn medicine woman I run everything <laughs> I say and do by him first I really did say to him alright Cavo So, because, you know, we made the ha 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 cuck joke, ha-ha-ha, and, you know, oh, all these scenes are longer. Oh, look, it's really progressive that there's a gay subplot and there's an interracial romance subplot. At the end of the day, I still really resented watching this for Charlie's Theron, and I can say why. So I'm a huge Buffy fan, as I already mentioned with the Joss Whedon thing. Rubber band. Uh If you're a big Buffy fan, you probably have had the DVDs at some point. Spike, like my least favorite character. Is introduced in season two, where he's recurring. He's in one episode of season three. He is recurring in season four. Then he's a regular in five, six, seven. I bring this up because I said he's in one episode of season three, right? Yeah, he has his own disc of the DVD set. Oh. And it's sort of like he only got a disc of the DVD set because he had just become a regular on the show due to fan popularity in real time. So they gave him one of the disc faces of the third season set when he appears in one episode. Now, this might seem like a silly thing that I'm harping on, but Giles is a regular throughout the first five seasons and at least in half or so of each season, six and seven, and he doesn't get a disc till season seven. And... Oh, four? He is he has a disc in season four and season seven. I have to be completely honest, my <laughs> husband is right behind me and he's correcting me as I'm talking.
2: He's like the second character introduced in the first episode of that show. It's like Buffy meet the librarian. Yeah,
1: everything about Charlize Theron, this really is that thing you do, you know, Theron recall. It's just like, it's bizarre to me that Tom Hanks would go back and be like, Oh, she made that movie, that monster movie, where she... Oh, I'm so excited! Right, I'm so excited! Because I do it all the time, and I I found a way to bring up BT on this show. BT actually scored both Fast and the Furious and Monster. He's a a musician I work into every episode of Now and Again.
0: I'm well aware of your BT incorporations. Yeah,
1: and I got to say there's a Charlie's one and there's a Fast and the Furious one. (laughs) <laughs> bam, bam, motherfuckers, bam, knocking well, cause down. Well, because, yeah,
0: because the extended version of this movie was released in 2006, so she already, like, she was already on her way to stardom, I think, when, like, you could tell that she was something. Yeah, she was, like, monstery. 2000 was sort of a turning point that she wins an Oscar in 2003, and they're like... Oh, yeah, we've got another 40 minutes in that movie where it's like all about her. Like, let's go put it out and like make some more money. So, like, I totally see why you could view this as a cash grab. The next time I watch this movie, I'm going to rewatch the theatrical version and then maybe I'll mix it up after that. But I just want to see, I feel like the theatrical version just sort of works better. But for what we did here, I'm glad that we saw everything that she had to offer.
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm baffled as to why there's so much extra footage of her, but I'm glad that I saw it because it made this episode better because there's much more of her in this cut. I will probably watch the theatrical cut again next also. I don't know that I'll re-watch this cut, you know, when I want to watch this movie. I think if there's like a moment or something that I feel like I want to see, I'll just skip to it or something. The theatrical cut is the main cut I think everyone should watch. This is just sort of like this weird curiosity. But I will say this, uh, as far as director's cuts go, it's not just like an extra five or six minutes. Like, this is a full-on not not entirely different, but like, it's got a whole different feel to it, this movie, you know? It still feels fun, it's still snappy and stuff, but maybe just not as fast and not as quick. Or
0: not as furious. There you go. So some other quick little trivia tidbits before we get into the recast game. Uh, Steve Zahn is staying in room 237 at the hotel, which I was like, is that a Shining reference? Maybe? Brian Cranston is playing an astronaut in this movie, but Tom Hanks' character is Mr. White, and so obviously Brian Cranston now is probably best known for playing Walter White, Mr. White, on Breaking Bad, so I thought that was a little bit of a weird coincidence.
1: You mean the dad from Malcolm in the Middle?
0: Yes, the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, after he has a midlife crisis and goes and starts another family and then starts selling meth. Yes, that same guy.
1: I've never heard of this. I'll have to look out for that show. Oh,
0: he was in Power Rangers, Nico. One of the few movies. I know. I
1: did see that. Theaters. I saw that for sure. No, that's actually <laughs> fun. Power Rangers tidbit. Because now you've unleashed the beast. So fun. Power Rangers tidbit. Billy Cranston <laughs> is named after Brian Cranston because Brian Cranston was in one of the bad guy suits in an episode, and the, the producer, was producers really liked. What is it, honey? Just a voice actor. Oh, just a voice actor, but the producers really liked him. My husband, seriously, just corrects me like like on the spot. It's <laughs> it makes me
0: much more impressive than I am. Please don't edit him out. He is a gift. I will leave him in there. The other last thing about the uh the movie I want to say is that at the very end Liv Tyler is sort of talking to Guy about Charlize And she says, was she a good kisser? And he's just like, yeah. So now we have a a defining characteristic of Charlize. At least this character, she is a good kisser. So we have that. Oh, maybe that had something to do about her dental work that she needed to get done. She kissed so much that
2: she wore her teeth away. Or she just needed, you know, maybe like she had bad breath or something because of her dental work. Maybe
1: when she got cured of her dead mouth disease and they were like well what do you want and she was like well if I'm going to get something I want sexy good mouth because like <laughs> I feel like now that they can like grow new penises and stuff some guy's going to be like 12 inch
0: you know what I mean and like ruin it for everybody else there's also a lot of parallels between the wonders and the Beatles coming uh, I'll get, you know their their name the bad pun in their name the type of song that thing you do is their performance sort of paralleling Ed Sullivan performance replacing a drummer losing a bass player Last-minute replacements. Someone calls him Ringo.
1: The basis for Tom Hanks' character.
0: Yeah, the Beatles' manager, Brian Epstein, was also gay. There's just a bunch of different stuff. Oh, Liv Tyler getting mistaken for a female fan by police. She's sort of the Yoko because she ends up breaking the band up. A little bit, yeah. There's a lot of things like that, which is kind of cool, kind of funny.
1: Wait, does that make this movie Yoko Apologist? Oh, maybe. (laughs) Maybe.
0: Maybe that's what Hanks is really trying to say. Jeez. Maybe,
1: maybe. double fantasy
2: right
0: there. Mike, any last thoughts about that thing you do or are we ready for the recast game? Yeah, I think we should get on with it. Okay. Let's do it. Nico, you are new to the show. We have to explain this for every guest but we had you while watching this movie pick out if we're remaking the movie today, recast the four members of the band, Tom Hanks character, Charlize's character Liv Tyler's character and also pick a new director if we were remaking the movie today the only rules that we have are no whitewashing so you can't turn a non-white character white but in this movie aside from the one Playtone band uh, pretty much everybody in this movie is white Um, and you can't turn any girls into guys but you can turn guys into girls and I really really hope with that said, I did not, but I hope one of you turned the Wonders into a girl rock band, which would be amazing.
1: Mine's not all female, but I definitely was like, hmm, this is not nearly intersectional or diverse
0: enough. We're going to fix this. It's time to go small world. <laughs> all right. So let's start first with the Charlize Theron character, Tina. Nico, who did you cast for Charlize in today's remake?
1: The person I kind of find the most annoying, Ariana Grande. Oh. <laughs> Interesting direction. I was like, you know what? I just go full-on blank, vapid face, like that very what kind of face. Just own it, own it, own it.
2: Mike, what about you? Um, I went in sort of a different direction. I went with uh, Eliza Gonzalez, who played Darling in Baby Driver. And I think you make her like a full-on beatnik, just like totally not into this type of music and would rather be snapping her fingers at some poetry somewhere.
0: The, The person I cast, somebody we talked about on the last episode, I cast jessica roth from Ah. happy death day also one of the dress girls in la la land because i i sort of saw her as tree before tree has the realization that she's a bad person that like she's Mm. a beautiful blonde girl smart and sort of gets it but also just doesn't care so i think that she could do it plus i just you know like we said last week have that movie on the brain want to keep casting her and other people from that movie and things so that's where i went for that
2: i don't think we ever declare
0: like a winner or anything like that but good choices all around. Well, thank you, thank you. I agree I agree across the board. Nico, who did you cast as Liv Tyler?
1: Because she is my, my, my woman crush, Zendaya. Oh, nice.
0: Mike just cast Zendaya in something last week. In the Children of the
1: Corn
2: 3, yeah.
1: I used to joke that I would watch uh, Jodie Foster read the phone book, and then I joked that I would watch Meryl Streep critique Jodie Foster reading the phone book. <laughs> I would watch a one-woman dramatic show of that performed by Zendaya brushing her teeth.
0: Oh well, brushing her teeth. Brushing her teeth. Yep. Wait a minute. Uh, Hungry rabbit jumps. uh, (laughs) There's a little bit of a dirty secret. Not a dirty secret, but like uh, in this one cage movie, January Jones brushes her teeth, and I didn't realize that was something that I wanted to see until I saw it, and I was like, oh uh, yeah. So brushing Zendaya brushing teeth. Like I'm okay with that too. I guess. Hi. I have my own thing, but I'm smart
1: enough not to say it on this show because Chris leaves every bad thing I say in, and I don't need people to know my (laughs)
0: teeth-brushing moment. Mike, what about Liv Tyler for you?
2: I kind of went with the same type, I suppose, but this person is really good, and the one thing I've seen her in so far, and I look forward to her next movie coming out very soon, but I went with Daisy Ridley from Star Wars. Oh,
0: I love that.
2: And I'd let her keep the English accent, too. Make her British, make her, make that Beatles connection a little stronger.
0: Oh, hold on. Speaking of accents, this movie takes place in Pennsylvania. Did you, did either of you pick up on a lot of, like, Canadian accents? It felt like a lot of people were sort of saying things with a Canadian affectation.
1: I couldn't tell because of all the maple syrup
2: running out of their mouth. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't, but I didn't pick up on any any regional accent whatsoever. All right. It didn't sound like they were from this part of the world either.
1: No, it Tom Hanks never sounds like he's from anywhere.
0: There was no jawning or any of that going on. <laughs> this a John, that's a John. So for my live Tyler This is the part, Mike, that I wanted to do Allison Williams again because I think that she could do it uh, and I also just have a crush on her. But Nico, we made a rule that we can't cast the same person twice in a row. We can reuse people but just Mike and I can't do people two movies in a row. They're off filming the other movie. We can't use them again. We can't bother them again. Uh, So instead, I thought Liv Tyler what I know her from recently is The Leftovers and she's great on The Leftovers so I went with Margaret Qualley who plays Jill Garvey on that show because she's also adorable And I think that she could do this role, and she's also, you know, like a cute young brunette, and she would be sort of this girl to pine after and lust after and just sort of be around with the band.
1: I really love your movie studio tycoon rules. I think that's (laughs)
0: great, and yeah, I love that. Thank you, thank you. So next, we'll do uh, Tom Hanks, the Mr. White role.
1: Yeah, I I went with my my go-to. If I'm that in love with Zendaya, I am equally in love with, in a very literal way, Stanley Tucci. Oh, nice. I would cast Stanley Tucci. I just love Him so much. I would love to see his... So, okay, I'm a big... So, I love Cher, period, and I love Christina Aguilera, period, and I love Kristen Bell. Burlesque should have been a thing that I enjoyed and in st- instead of something done to me. Point of my story, though, he managed to still be good in that terrible film. Stanley Tucci can do anything, and I actually think because of his role in Burlesque, we have a good sense of how he would handle a role like this. And sure. I think he would do a really supportively emotive job. I think he could absolutely introduce these boys to the Hunger Games.
0: What I think, Mike, what's funny is that like two actors that Mike loves, Nico, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, are Stanley Tucci and Giovanni Ribisi. So Ooh, I like look. that Giovanni Ribisi was in this. And that you recast Stanley Tucci in this, because I feel like, in my brain, they're both similar, like, really good actors that are kind of underused or underrepresented, or people don't love the way they should, and they're both now forever linked to that thing you do in one form or another. And
2: Tucci, no no stranger to Cage Club. He was in As Good As It Gets, right? Not as good as it gets. He was in... It could um, happen to you. It could happen to you. So, yeah, and he's great in that.
1: I was really hoping you were going to say he played uh, Mephisto in Ghost Rider, but... I know better, because I saw <laughs> both of those, and they're so bad.
2: I think he plays Merlin in the new Transformers. I lasted literally five minutes before I got an aneurysm. Mike, <laughs> who is your Mr. White? My choice for this is also my choice for director. I did a kind of a Hanks okay double thing, but I was going to go with Tom Everett Scott, because I thought he was like the Hanks of the movie. I'm, so I'm a
0: little nervous. A little I think we, I, we might have a match. If we match, Uh-oh. it's going to be
2: great, but let's see. Who- okay, so so my new Hanks, who is also the new director, is John Favreau oh it's not a match but I like that because I just think like Favreau is he could be he's got like the swingers snappiness of the cool and then he can also do like a nice big studio comedy thing like he's proven he could do that kind of stuff too I mean, he, could, he did Iron Man. I just think that he would bring the right sensibilities and, and get what this is all about. I mean, you
1: just said Mr. Zathura himself, so yes. <laughs> and no, I love John Favreau. I thought he was mad hot as Pete on Friends. That's a great choice.
0: My Mr. White, I thought we had a match because it's the same first name, and it might just be because I'm watching Mad Men right now, but I think John Hamm oh. could be a really good Mr. White. He's not my director. I think he could also probably direct this movie. Uh, that would be cool to see, but yeah i think john Hamm would be a cool mr white like this wise older man who's sort of a father figure to these kids and like that absolutely so now nico if you want to do the let's do the whole band as a unit because i sort of i kind of tried to sort of put together it doesn't really it's not as meshy it doesn't gel as well as i would like it to but if you want to do your whole Mm -hmm. band in one fell swoop who did you recast as the wonders in each role
1: Sure. Uh, for TB player, I went with Marcus Schreibner, who plays Junior on Blackish. Okay. Uh, for Lenny Hayes, which is Steve's on, I recast him with Rachel Bloom. From oh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, who I is I love that my goddamned goddess. I recast Jimmy with Jesse Smollett, who uh, is the young lead on Empire. He is a phenomenal singer. He's an incredible actor. Uh, he's a dynamic performer. He plays the good guy version of this character on Empire. I do not regret this for even one second. I cast uh, Channing Tatum as Guy, and I don't take it back.
0: <laughs> well, I like that. So you turned a band of four white guys into a band of one white guy, right?
1: Yeah, that sounds like me.
0: Yep, and that's what I did. Yep, love it, love it, love it. Mike, who you got for the wonders? All right, this was not easy.
2: I don't know that they work as quite as well as a unit, but we'll see when I when I when I riff them off. So for shades. I didn't realize. I also I went with Baby from Baby Driver, Anson Elgore, who I cast in our secret pilot, so that or the episode after, so that doesn't count. So I can use him. Yep. So uh, I'm
0: going with Anson. Shades as in guy, as in the.
2: Yeah, as okay. in guy, okay. as in the drummer. Right. So like the lead, basically. Yep. For Leah, was
0: it? Wait. For the. Um... So there's Jimmy. So Jimmy is dating Liv Tyler. There's okay. So, Lenny okay. is Steve Zahn, and there's the bassist. Okay. So for Lenny. I had to go I really wanted
2: to go with Zac Efron just because he looked exactly like he had everything going but I had to go in a different direction I went with Kieran Culkin basically because of his performance in Scott Pilgrim versus the world sure like i just want him to do that that kind of character here i think he could he could pull that off for the bassist i went with gerard carmichael oh uh, okay but I would totally beef up his role and then i'd have him sleep with a white girl okay i like that the movie Ooh, sure.
1: that's a really great twist on the yeah
2: switch that up a little bit and then for the guitar player i i mean i don't think the age is quite right but i'm going with adam driver just because of the look i don't know i just want to see adam driver lead a band or try to and watch it like sort of dissolve around him and then him throw like
0: a sith fit uh at the end of the movie so that's my band love it i'm really disappointed in myself for keeping it for white dudes i I really got to diversify because i think the trap that i fall into is first off who does it look like and then sort of go Mm -hmm. from there if I can't find something like that or like does it fit does it work whatever for the bassist I had to put this guy in the movie somewhere I put Colin Hanks uh, because yeah. he, he's <laughs> nice. got to be in there I had him as like basically every role in this movie was Colin Hanks at one point I'm, like, I'm going to put him because like <laughs> I don't want to give him preferential treatment like you know we're remaking that thing you do I don't want to just take the son of the original director and give him the leading role we're going to give him sort of a background part so we're going to give Colin Hanks a base player role. Him as uh, Tom Hanks's role could have been interesting casting too. Also that point. again yeah. like these yeah. ages don't really line up because I think all of my guys are probably 30 or older. For Jimmy the guitarist who there's also that speech that we didn't mention toward the end where Tom Hanks basically analyzes the entire band, and he basically says, like, I know that you're in love with Faye uh, with Liv Tyler, but he says that Jimmy is the talent, uh, so I cast Joseph Gordon-Levitt in that role as the guitarist.
1: Oh, nice. I am I'm a big, 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 big fan. Yep, thumbs up.
0: And then the last two, uh, for Guy, who, he, who Tom Hanks says is the smart one, and for Lenny, who he says is the fool, I kind of took a package deal that we talk about a lot on another podcast, and I did... Guy, I turned it to Zach Efron, and Nice. Lenny, I did Dave Franco. Wait, so Guy is Zach Efron? I want him to be the lead of the movie. <laughs> I actually had that originally. I'm not even kidding. Interesting. But what because made... okay. also from Hairspray, we know that as Link Larkin, he can pull off this era... And we know that he can be that, like, kind of, you know, swing-in, stopping 60s heartthrob guy. I would love to see him in the lead of this movie.
1: But he's but wait, isn't he too pretty? Nice. Isn't he too pretty, though?
0: Like, isn't he too well, pretty to be Guy?
2: But you could work that into it, too. He could be not taken seriously because of his good looks and stuff. And, yeah, <laughs> and also that... the
0: thing with Guy in this movie is that every woman's already in love with him. So it's not it doesn't change anything. You that's know what, what I mean? Like, that's why I went with Channing Tatum, who a lot
1: of people think looks a little bit like Scrappy-Doo. I wanted to go with somebody who looked a little
2: silly. You could have actually gone with a cartoon character. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you yeah, I didn't said that. You
0: can go cartoon characters.
1: <laughs> Next time, I'm going to cast Ziggy from the cartoon Ziggy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, last thing, it's a new wrinkle this week. We're going to see how it plays out recasting the director so we have this dream cast now who is directing this movie miko who is your director for that thing your 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 jive whatever what was your original name for it like that that groove
1: you jam.
0: yeah for that groove you jammed who's your director
1: well i actually have to make a point additionally it would need additional music to be remade if you want my opinion it it is that thing you do too many times okay i would need additional music by rachel bloom Since you're going to have her anyway, use her. She's a goddamn genius. I would like my director to be Aziz Ansari. Oh! Uh If for no other reason, a Master of None-esque take on this movie with a super diverse cast, still set in the same era, would really capture the... God, I'm so broken at this point, but I find it really hard to root for Four Pretty White Boys. Like, (laughs) sorry about it, but, like, it's... uh, No. So, you know, like... I really feel like Aziz Ansari would bring a powerful sense of of realism to this.
0: And I I am fully in support of that. And just last week, out of nowhere, because I haven't seen Master of None in months, uh, I had that song, Guarda Come Dondolo, that Italian song that he and his adorable Italian girlfriend danced to in that snowy apartment that one day just popped in my head. And I was like, oh, this is like a great memory to have in my brain right now. So I am fully on board with director Aziz of your wonderfully diverse and beautiful cast. Yeah,
2: it's a pretty cool cast. I want to see this movie. That groovy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mike, who is your director? Oh, you already said the director, John Favreau. I, yeah,
2: so, yep, still sticking with that. I do
1: root for him, though. He's he's super
2: awesome.
0: I went with somebody I mentioned earlier who is a fan of this movie. I went with Damien Chazelle. Just like he did a jazz movie, he can do another jazz movie, sort of. <laughs> uh, I think that he would work, again, keeping it boring and White Boy and I need to diversify my thing, diversify my bonds. I think that, you know, in terms of not an experimental movie, like, I think of the three of ours, Mike, no offense to either you or me, but, like, the most interesting one would be Nico's. It might either be the biggest failure or the biggest success. But in terms of my cast and just sort of like making a movie that would work, I think Damien Chazelle could do that for this. So boring, but I think a safe pick.
2: No, I agree. I think he would bring more of like a style to it than Favreau would. Like, I think Favreau would play by the book a little more and like, you know, it would be fun. It would probably be just like this, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wouldn't it wouldn't be like artistic much more than than we're seeing Hank's I think yours guys would definitely amp up uh some of like the cerebralism of it or you know, we'll feel the panic more when Guy can't make it to the uh studio on time or something. I don't know,
0: but get more in your head as a director. The only part that I almost gave to someone else, the only one I was really close on was that the Liv Tyler role I almost gave to Alison Bree, which I think she would do a Ooh, good job here too.
1: Alison Bree can do anything. Alison Bree, she's
0: amazing anything and plus you know we have we have dave franco on set so they could like carpool to work together because they're married so uh it would be great i was also trying to figure out like because like the way that i I cast dave franco in the steve zahn role and he basically doesn't interact with Liv tyler and i'm like would that be would that that be weird for him like for a married couple to basically be in the same movie and be in every scene together but like not talk to each other and so i guess i sort of got in my head too much and that's why i didn't go with her but i think that she would be a great fit for this uh 2017 retelling of that thing you do.
1: Oh no, I have a regret. What? Oh, I would have made Mr. White female.
0: Well, we can we can recast your recast. Who would you rather have? Who who's your Mrs. White? I want Constance Zimmer. Oh, Constance Zimmer. Yeah, yeah I love Zimmer. Yeah.
1: Unreal is the fucking craziest. I love power Unreal. Of, oh my god, it it shakes
0: me to my core every fucking episode. Actually, speaking of Unreal, Shiri Appleby would be a great Liv Tyler in this too.
1: Shiri Appleby, I. I never would have imagined she is capable of what she is capable of. You She's could, so good in that show. You could put her in any role. Through the performances they get out of it, they make Craig Bierko likable. That's that's <laughs> unbelievable talent. I would definitely Constance Zimmer. She can...
0: Oh, that's totally... wonderful.
1: She's got that perfect rasp that makes you believe that she could have fought her way through the music industry before women were allowed to wear pants.
0: Mike, if you don't know Unreal, or if anybody listening doesn't know Unreal, Unreal is a show on Lifetime, the only show that I watch on Lifetime. Hey, Emmy-nominated. It's a scripted drama, of making of a Bachelor, Bachelorette show. Oh. <laughs> and so Constance Zimmer is the showrunner and... Uh, Shiri Appleby plays her not assistant but like sort of her second in command like kind of exec- like yeah. they have a real love each other hate each other relationship and like it's all about like the manipulation behind the scenes of like making certain people progress and like so Shiri Appleby plays a mm-hmm. character named Rachel and so I think in season 2 or maybe Nico have there been two seasons or three seasons there have been two
1: seasons in season 3 we have a premiere dated is January I believe
0: but in season 2 there was a contestant that they called Hot Rachel, Hot uh, Rachel. who basically looked like Shiri Appleby was Hot hotter Kevin, we're just
1: talking about Unreal right now it's the best comic <laughs> Conversation.
0: There. What did I just see recently? Oh, oh, in Vice Principals, Lee Russell, Walton Goggins' sister, one of his sisters on that show, is the tall Christian redhead from the first season of Unreal. And I was like, oh. where do I know this woman from? I was like, oh my god, it's everywhere. Like, I would say check out Unreal. Unreal is like, it's a show that I never thought I would love and I really, really love.
2: Well, I, I love stories about behind the scenes yep. of the industry.
0: And they everybody's just so mean to everybody on that show.
1: The thing is that it does the best of any TV show I think I've that and it's going to sound really unlikely the two sources I think that are covering mental illness the best on TV are Unreal and Legion. They're oh, the two shows uh, that Legion. Uh, Legion like look in my best of the year that I did on now and again I mentioned that I I have this book and there's only 999 of them and I had to wait months and months and I spent way too much money on this book. It's Legion's first appearance. Like, David Holler isn't a character that means a little bit to me. He's a character that means a lot to me. And Legion is such a beautiful representation of the spirit of the character while not at all being the initial iteration. In a way, reimaginings like that usually take so much longer. And that and Unreal talk about mental illness in such a real, beautiful, honest way. Even though they're these these grand ideas—they're—they're they're the extraordinary set against the ordinary. There's something so humanizing about their treatment that I think it does make ordinary people feel more okay talking about their pain. That's unreal. And Legion in a heartbeat totally cut this. This is way too much. But hundred percent. No,
0: no, I'm leaving. I'm leaving oh. in there, and I'm also adding in uh, "You're the Worst" on FXX, which started out as a sort of a rom-com for millennials who kind of hate each other, and sort of became this like beautiful description and like depiction of like depression and like PTSD. SD and like it's a show that like started out with just the R-rated rom-com that you've always wanted to see and then became this like amazing character study that like is just way better than you think it has any right to be so I'm leaving this all in there go watch Unreal go watch Legion go watch You're the Worst pray that some Hollywood studio finds Watch the Throne and then somehow has the ability to make these movies there's gonna be three, <laughs> three remakes of that thing you do one with Aziz one with John Favreau at the helm and then one with my guy Damien Chazelle at the helm
1: there'd be two remakes of that thing you do and one that groove you jam
0: (laughs) oh that's 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 totally right
1: i literally raise my knee and throw down my arms every time i have said it literally every (laughs) single time i do like a dance move because it's that groove you jam it's too fun not to do
0: well thank you so much nico for being on this show you can catch nico most months on now and again he is now the official semi-permanent co-host uh where he gets to talk about the same producer he talks about on every episode and also talk about Britney and Christina and boy bands and how am I blanking on the people that you talk about every episode Janet Jackson you're doing it and Tori Amos uh, Mariah Carey Tori Amos go listen to Nico there, and then Nico has a show or two coming out next year sometime, Uh, so stick around for that, because I'm very excited for those, but thank you, Nico, for joining us, being our first guest. You set the bar extraordinarily high for Watch the Throne. Uh, I hope people enjoyed you here, but thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. I keep going to cut you off. I'm the worst. It means so much to me to get to pole vault these standards for you guys.
0: Yes. Mike, any last thoughts grand thoughts whatever about that thing you do or are we just ready for next week's Hollywood confidential yeah I know I'm ready to get to this Hollywood confidential (laughs) thing this is the first
2: time on Watch the Throne on the list of something that I've like, I looked at the list I was like
0: what the hell is this so it should be a great episode next week yeah so for all things Watch the Throne and Now and Again and all of our other shows on the network you can go to cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter like I said next Thursday Boyfriend Material starts with La La Land so if you want to hear two episodes about jazz movies go do that go listen to Boyfriend Material but <laughs> cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub and at cageclubpod on Twitter I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Nico Vasillo, and we'll see you next time on Watch the Throne.
2: You, doing that thing you do,
0: breaking my heart into a million pieces, like you always